the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you today. And please visit ProAmericareport.com, ProAmericareport.com. Sign up for the daily email there, and uh, um, you will get uh, the daily wink in your inbox every morning at 8 a.m. Uh, East Coast, 5, 5 a.m. Pacific. A great program. In a few moments, we will solve the problem of the Canadian wildfires. They are being the Canadian wildfire. The Canadian wildfires are variously being blamed by the environmentalists for uh, they're being blamed. The fires are being blamed on uh, oh boy. Oh, boy. The causes of the fires are being described as the left by the left as uh, global warming uh, and uh, mistreatment of the of the environment, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Gregory Wrightstone, our old friend, the executive director of the CO2 coalition will come on and he has the he has the charts. He has the data. He has the graphs on wildfires. Actually, I remember this about Gregory. He um, I don't know he wrote a book, uh, Inconvenient Facts, years ago now, probably seven years ago uh, total. But he also has written a number of times on fire. And on the uh, the the historical treatment, the historical measurement of uh, wildfires and and fires in general, and it's uh, actually gone down in the in the uh, last couple of decades, not gone up. So we'll talk with him. Uh, we will also have a, gr- a chance to catch up with someone we haven't talked to in a long time. Selena Zito, the writer for the Washington Examiner, as well as the New York Post and other places. Um, she, of course, uh, wrote uh, a book that famously uh, got attention. The book is called The Great Divide, The Great Divide by Selena Zito. She'll join us. I haven't caught up with her in a while. I told her I'm going to give her as much time as we have to take. Excuse me. I, I called her book The Great Divide. It's called The Great Revolt, The Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition Re- shaping american politics uh, we'll talk with her uh and see what she's up to she's got a piece in the washington examiner on the fact that the democrats are giving up on working folks in favor of uh, woke folks choosing work excuse me choosing woke over work and um we'll see what selena zito has to say but first uh let's uh let me just highlight something for you that is coming and that is in order to cling to power it's predictable that there will be from the media from the narrative machine, it is predictable that they will try to uh, make Republicans look like terrible people. What is less predictable, but no less real, is the the uh, fact that they will go after any Democrat that gets in the way. And so uh, his turn in the barrel is now here. RFK Jr. is in some polls uh, tracking at close to 25% of Democrat primary voters. And more importantly, Somewhere around 70% of all voters want Joe Biden not to run. So th- there's getting to be some nervousness in the, in the, uh, in the Biden world on what to do about this. And so uh, out comes a woman whose name is Amanda Marie Marcotte. Marcotte. I, I assume I'm pronouncing that right. M-A-R-C-O-T-T-E. She is a horrendously, horrendously nasty writer. She's written nasty things about, uh, about men, broadly speaking. She's written nasty things about the Catholic Church and Catholic doctrines, a uh, doctrine she has 
has the distinction of being hired briefly as a blogger for John Edwards' campaign for president uh, until uh, they read what she had written and then they fired her. So she wasn't even, you know, he was a bit of an ethically challenged guy himself. And he, he she got fired, couldn't even write a blog for uh, Jonathan Edwards. And she is a rabid, radical feminist, uh, leftist, etc., and she writes over at, and this is going to make you smile, Salon.com. Now, Salon.com, Salon itself, the magazine, it used to be filled with people that were talented, if liberal. This woman is not even, doesn't even look talented. She basically takes tweets from someone else and puts together a hit piece. But here's the hit piece, the title, RFK Jr. and the Con Men Candidates. More than a sideshow, they're a real threat to democracy. You recognize the trope? threat to democracy rfk jr because he disagrees with the left on everything from vaccines to the deep state to even donald trump they have to hate him and but what's really weak and pathetic about this is the, the the it's not salon again salon used to write sort of serious stuff they were they were left and they were silly but they were serious Here's what she says. Opening sentence. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is not a serious person. Well, that's just silly, right? I mean, at a certain point, you could disagree with RFK Jr. on a bunch of stuff. I think he's too liberal on a number of things. But her complaint is he's not a serious person. And then she goes on to compare him to everyone else that she doesn't like. Now, my point is this. Do you think they'd be doing this on RFK Jr. if he wasn't making a difference? No. The reason why RFK Jr. is now getting his turn in the barrel, as they say, as Roger Stone likes to say, is because he's actually making uh, progress. And the progress is pointing out how flawed the Democrat Party has become. And here's he's like Trump, RFK Jr. I told you the other day, he doesn't need anybody. He's not beholden to the party. He, he, he predates the Democrat Party of today because his family was so dominant in the Democrat Party of yesteryear. He was down at the border the other day shooting video, basically saying this is out of control. Now, that's not acceptable in the modern woke Democrat Party. You're not supposed to do that. And so here comes and here's the only good thing for him is so far. It's like the D team. This woman, Amanda uh, Marie Marcotte, she's like the D team. She this is not a she is not a serious effort to attack him at which it's he's kind of the old line you know you're over the target if you're getting flack you know people say that so he's clearly getting flack because he's over the target he's in the game but they haven't come with the big guns this is not the big guns yet Uh, amanda marcotte is not the big guns but they go through all these things and then and they here's the thing that's crazy Uh, um jed lagoom is some sort of journalist he runs a, a blog himself and he has this tweet thread all the things they attack, either the things they're attacking RFK Jr. Are, are are made up, or they're actually things that I thought Democrats would want. It, pushing back on the control of the of the national security government, I thought that was what they'd want. Anyway, it's interesting to see RFK Jr. probably coming into some more uh, heat uh, as they go forward, because as I said, he's making progress. All right, that's what you need to know. We got to take a break. We'll come back. Selena Zito in a moment. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been way too long, way too long. Selena Zito, selenazito.com is the person you want to talk to and, uh, excuse me, is the person you want to, the website you want to go to to get all of her writings there. And you can sign up for an email from her, an update. We're going to talk to her right now. Selena Zito, how are you? Oh, I'm just living a dream. How yeah. are you? And yeah, everybody can go and check it out. I actually have three full-time jobs and you can <laughs> check out. I, 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 I set out in January to interview anybody that everyone that was running for president on the Republican side. And I did it, including a couple extra ones. So you can, uh, you can read those uh, uh, as you take a look at all the other stuff that I've written. So, and I was going to say, I mean, but but let's talk about this for one second. Like history, there was a point. I uh, was it like 2015 when, like, you you got uh, did you get fired from somewhere or or someone cut you back and everyone was like, oh, and then it was like from then on you had you had the best selling book, The Great Revolt. You had then and then you and then you became sort of well known for having written about the people who were understanding Trump, right? That was like that was in fifteen or so, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Um, I lost my uh I shouldn't say lost my job. I took the buyout. It was uh, evident that I had to. Okay. Um appears that everyone that didn't take the buyout lost their job when that door closed right uh and um i uh that was in september of 2016 and the day that i walked out of the newsroom was the day that someone uh from the trump campaign he was not president yet called and said hey you have an interview tomorrow with trump in pittsburgh i'm like oh great i don't even have a job wow um but so that's that's how that transpired Mm. i ended up writing it for the Atlantic and uh, and the day after the election, I kept telling people, you know, he's going to win. It's not because I wanted him to or didn't want him to. It's just that my reporting validated that understanding that things were in this, that the coalitions of both parties were changing. The, in, 20, in 2008, when Barack Obama was running, he kept the the New Deal coalition, which included most of the white working class. In 2012, he told, he ran a different race and ran for the party of the ascendants, uh, meaning young people, uh, minorities, and the highly educated. But he kept just enough of the white working class. He shed a lot of them. He's one of the only modern presidents to have lost uh, votes in their in their second run. Uh, but he kept enough of them. But by the time Hillary Clinton had had was running, the coalitions in both parties had shifted dramatically. But people didn't seem to understand that. Right. right. But I saw it. And I reported it and said, hey, you guys, that's, <laughs> Donald Trump's going to win. Right, right. And, and um, I nailed it. And that has a lot to do with how I report, which is on the back roads right. and in, in the places in the, um, in, um, the Great Lakes Midwest, meaning Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa, um, these, these places where um, – 
that matter in an electoral college and um and he won and then since then everything without me even really pursuing it yeah. i wrote a best-selling book but again i didn't write the book about trump i wrote the book about how these coalitions are changing and i still intuitively follow that and i understood in 2018 republicans were going to lose uh the house and senate um and uh and in 2020, I understood that Donald Trump was not going to win. Mm-hmm. And in 2022, I was uncertain. I was uncertain if the Republicans were going to have a big wave. And I warned a few days ahead of the of that election when Donald Trump came out and said, "Hey, I'm going to announce next week I'm running," and he started making fun of other possible candidates. That voters had had enough, not that they didn't like his policies, but they were exhausted by his comportment. Right. Uh, Selena Zito is our guest. And over at Selena Zito, then also Washington Examiner, New York Post, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I think it's at everywhere you, you can think of. Uh, Wall Street Journal has published her and her book. She mentioned is The Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. Selena Zito and Brad Todd uh, out originally in hardback. I think there's a paperback out, too. So um, I want but I wanted to get to the pieces recent about the Democrats. But then I want to stop on my shelf. I went over and I pulled off my shelf a, a battered copy of a book that I bought from the left bank bookshop in St. Louis, Missouri, which I love to go in. It was a used book. It's, it costs a dollar 50 and it was, it is um, studs Turkle uh, number one bestseller working. And I wanted to ask yeah. you this. You, I, I've only known you for five years, six years, five years, probably. And I've known you since you had this insight to go and listen to these people. And I find it wonderful because I, it's all about a person. And it's to me, it's kind of the whole thing. But, you know, Stur- Studs Turkle, of course, did this, these lengthy, lengthy books. And it was kind of politically uh, he was he was writing like this one is about people talk about what they do all day and how they feel about what they do. He was kind of this leftist, but he was a journalist. So. That style of going and finding people to listen to, first of all, how do you do that? And how do you not, do you end up doing something where you you have like 15 of these and you end up using one or do you have five and use one? Or are you now able to say, I can tell a half an hour into a conversation whether this person's going to give me enough insight? I mean, what is this? It's it's a different kind of, now it's consistent. It's Selena Zito. It's a, a certain kind of journalism. Well, I think what makes me intuitive about storytelling is my my sense of place. So I don't live in um, a large city. I I don't live in New York. I don't live in D.C. Uh, I live in a county outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Dab Center in the middle of Appalachia. And Mm -hmm. so I already have an understanding of the importance of, of good storytelling, but also the importance of telling people story mm-hmm. stories that are outside of what you see in New York and, and DC and, and telling them through a viewpoint of understanding their lives. Uh, and, and so you can, you can tell me, I mean, honestly, there isn't a person out there who I couldn't sit down with. Um, no matter what what point of view they come from, that doesn't have a compelling story to tell. I think right. all of us do. Right, right, None right. None of us, you, 
So there are few and far between whether we are far left and, and extremely successful or far right and right down the middle coming from a working class background. Everyone's story is compelling. Uh, the important part for me is to listen. Mm-hmm. And and not only listen, but when I go and, and do these stories is always take the back roads. I don't fly. I don't even take the interstate or a turnpike. I take the back roads. So that atmosphere, that geography, that road is part of the story. And mm. it, and, and it, the surroundings that I see, whether a town is prosperous or down on its knees, making its way back up or falling apart helps tell the story. Mm. Selena Zito, again, is our guest. If you go to selenazito.com, you can sign up for her email updates and see all of her writings there. selenazito.com. I'll put it up on social media. Um, okay, so moving to this piece, Democrats abandon the blue-collar worker in favor of social justice warriors. It, it, broadly, is this another one of these shifts? Uh, and is it permanent? I mean, did, Dem- did Democrats really abandon them, or are they, or, or, or is this a fad and and it's swinging back? I mean, somebody like RFK Jr., who's getting twenty percent of the vote, depending on what you think of, he's he seems to me to be maybe some of those v- voters that are that it looks they feel that may, many Democrats, blue collar workers, may feel like they're losing. It, it, do you sense this as a permanent move, or what's going on here? Well, nothing is permanent in politics. A hundred years ago, the Democrat Party looked like the Republican Party, and the Republican Party looked like the Democratic Party. Republicans were the party of the country club, the elites, the highly educated. The right. Democrats were the party of the working class. Today, that is completely different. Uh, but it takes decades for that shift to change. A lot of it's based on culture and society. What has moved us, uh, what has moved the, um, the Democrats to the left is that our cultural curators, meaning the people that are in charge of our corporations, um, academia, entertainment, sports entities, um, you know, uh, institutions, all of those people that are running them that have the most influence on what we see, feel, taste, eat, and, and are entertained by come from a, a highly educated elite class that lives in the super zip codes um, of our country, meaning Silicon Valley, uh, New York, um, Washington, D.C., counties that are the most wealthiest, but also the centers of power. And they they don't understand the people they serve. That has had a large impact on our politics because voters constantly feel scolded, constantly feel lesser than, constantly feel disconnected from the brands they have been loyal to. Think about the NFL's decision to back all the people that were kneeling for the anthem. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only did that hit people of very of all parties, did that hit people wrongly? It also proved that the elites don't take a contract that you sign seriously, where people that live in the rest of the country know if they sign a contract, they don't live up to it. Mm -hmm. So meaning Colin Kaepernick signed a contract that said you have to stand for the national anthem and he, his signature was there and, uh, and he broke that contract, but there was no consequence for it. If you and I broke a contract, 
oh my gosh, we'd be sued, we'd lose our house, our bank, our, our, our bank account would be depleted, but we, because we face consequences. So that's a long way of saying our cult, that is what has driven the left to abandon they have decided that the working class, white, black, Hispanic, whatever, um, is not as important as the uh, social justice warriors. That's who they now advocate for. So they don't stand up for the United Boilermakers. I mean, I was standing there when the when the stacks went down. I didn't see one Democrat um, um, well, there to, saying, yeah. it's going to be okay. We're mm-hmm. going to do this for you. 10, 20 years ago, they would have done that. Um, But in in contrast, they were at a pride parade, um, walking through a pride parade. And there's, well, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you, if you, you, you're making a decision that this is more important. These voters are more important than um, the ones that you um, once championed. We're talking again with Selena Zito. We're right now referring to her piece in the Washington Examiner a couple of days ago um, and referring to in Ches- Cheswick, Pennsylvania, um, there is a, a um, uh, power plant and two of the big stacks, one, I think, over 700 feet tall, one over 500 feet tall, were, you know, they, they shut this down. They changed it, as you said, the environmentalists. Um, but you referred to something. Uh, but two things I w- wanted to ask you. One is as the East Coast was has been inundated with smoke from Canada. You know, my friends that are in California said, hey, this happens to us all the time when there's a good forest fire. We have a couple of days off of work or school. Doesn't happen on the East Coast. And I think people are dissatisfied in a way that they, you know, they always blame who's in charge. You know, somehow I, I remember vividly when someone told me I was chief of staff to the governor and someone told me you can't control the floods, but they'll blame you for it anyway. So you better figure out yeah. how to handle it. And so smoke enveloping the East Coast from Canada, it's not our fault. It's not not Biden's fault, but people are blaming them. The other part of this is, and I'm doubling it up because we're going to run out of time. But you know, when people critique Biden as corrupt, it, it I, I don't think that's a distinguishing characteristic to Middle America. They think everybody in the swamp is using the power to their advantage, and it feels like this coming election, maybe more than ever. A, a corruption, you know, a, a election, a drain the swamp election. And they fit together in the sense that for all the regulating you do, for all the taxes and things you can do, you can't control a forest fire that's going to block out, uh, you know, the eastern seaboard. I, am I, you're the one that knows how this feels when you talk to so many folks. Is that right? And a long way to Tipperary, but that's where it looks like it's headed. Well, first of all, I think it's hysterical that there is this hysteria coming from the East Coast about this smoke when I've been sitting through it for the past two weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're like, you know, yeah. having a fit of vapors over it. Right. Um, we're like, okay, it happens. It'll pass, and we'll be okay. Right. We might be inconvenienced, but Lord Almighty, they are really hysterical. <laughs> they over sure this. are. They sure are. It it it, it blows my mind. Yeah. Um. In terms of uh, drain the swamp, you know, I haven't pinpointed what this election is about, but I will tell. I will. I outside to say I don't think anyone's inevitable. Meaning both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Right. I actually think neither of them will be the nominee this time next year. 
Mm, wow, that's interesting. Well, I do think that there's chaos everywhere. I, I just, uh, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I, I think there's, I agree with you on Biden. I don't see based on the fundamentals, you know, having sat through the RNC and things like that, that I don't know where it is absent somehow an indictment does damage that I'm not seeing coming right now. It's not doing damage. It's like enhancing the base, but uh, you might be right on that, but we'll have, we'll visit again. That's why Selena Zito.com is where you need to go to read all of her stuff. When she does figure out where the voters are, you will know because she writes about it almost every couple of days and then we'll have a better sense. Thank you as always, Selena, for your time. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great. Selena Zito, everybody. SelenaZito.com. Go to her website. She's one of the best in the country. It was a really interesting answer that I said Studs Terkel talks about people, and she said, sure, that's right, but uh, a sense of place, because every time you, she writes, you get a sense of where she is as well as the people around. It's a pretty gr- great thing to think about. So we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So I would, I'm, I'm ready to solve your problems. Here's the solving of your problems. What the heck is happening with these wildfires in Canada? And why is it coming all the way down here and messing up uh, uh, America? And the man to answer that is Gregory Wrightstone, the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. He's been a frequent guest on this program uh, for many, many years now. And uh, he also uh, is a noted author uh, and a leader generally. But he texted me and said, if you want me to tell you what's going on, don't stop listening listening to uh, CNN and everybody else, and I'll tell you what's going on. So welcome, Gregory Wrightstone. How are you, sir? Oh, really good. Yeah, as usual, uh, <laughs> I'm about to to uh, foil the climate fraud with facts. Ah, I, I man. I put all that in there, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you're, as, as you might have guessed, your, your uh, listeners are being lied to about the Canadian fires, and uh, – it's it's quite a bit. It's almost opposite of what they're trying to tell you. They're well, let me say, let me let me let me point this out. Gregory Wrightstone, he's a geologist geologist by training, but his book he mentioned, I mentioned, is called Inconvenient Facts. He's alluding to that. Published five or six years ago, and was a a, a, a hit amongst smart people like me and others. But then Candace Owens held it up and said, "This this book uh, gave me everything I need to know on what's going on, cleared everything up, and now it's like a gazillion uh, times bestseller, blah blah blah, and all that." So, uh, but he's you're good at this facts stuff, and uh, and the CO two coalition, uh, CO two coalition.org has tons of resources there so all right what is this what is happening why what caused it where's the lies about the canadian wildfires well there are a lot of fires this year and there are a number of reasons why that's the case let's just go with the first lie is that uh fires are these uh are unusual uh, numbers of fires and there's a large number but uh Periodically, they have these large fires in Canada. In fact, I'm looking at uh, a New York Times article from 1903. Smoke and dust make a pall of New York City, barely mm. able to see. Se- no, no, 1780, the sky was black as night in New England due to massive wildfires in Canada. So mm. this is nothing new. Uh, it's been going on for thousands of years. Um, and we also, they're claiming uh, that this is being driven by climate change and that fires are increasing. Uh, well, I took a look and I sent it to you, my chart. I took the Canadian forest data 
on both the number of fires in the area burned, we find that the number of fires have been in a decades-long decline in Canada, going back to, uh, we, we have data I, I picked up back to 1980, showing a definite decline in the number of fires across Canada. Uh, the area burned, is it goes up and down wildly every year. I mean, there's no discernible trend in area burned. Uh, so their first, their claim of increasing fires is just absolutely categorically wrong right. and they're in decline, not increasing. Um, and, and second, they're saying, well, it's because of climate change, th- this fire season starting earlier than ever. Well, I went back and looked. Um, uh, the uh, Cal- Calgary, your, uh, uh, the fires in Alberta, rather, uh, uh, the peak fire season there is May. Mm. <laughs> and and most of the fires are in May, and they didn't right. they didn't report that. Um, the second across all of Canada, the second second biggest fire month is June, which is what we're in. So that's a lie number two. They're not coming earlier than normal. They're right on schedule. Um, uh, so we're, we're you know one thing after another. Uh, it's it, it's just unbelievable what they're well, trying. Well, and to. and 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 the point here is. Uh, I mean, why, why, why do they claim, why is, why do the climate, I mean, I, I know any, you know, the old, uh, Rahm Emanuel statement, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? You see people and people are unhappy. They're not, people are spoiled and they're unhappy and they're suddenly they're, you know, oh, we got to deal with this. Uh, and I hear it a lot and I'm not, I'm not saying it's not nothing, but, um, so I guess they're just taking advantage of it, but there's no real reason to say that wildfires are caused by climate change, right? I mean, that's not, nobody says that, I don't, maybe they do. The forests are burning because uh, CO, uh, carbon is up. Yeah, of course. That's what, yes, that's what they do. <laughs> Everything, no matter what it is, if it, if it, if it's too much rain, not enough rain, too much snow, not enough snow, uh, you know, people are getting too fat. Pe- people are getting too skinny. It's all because of climate change. It's all because we're emitting too much carbon dioxide, leading to unnatural warming effects. But what they're so that's what they do. And it's, you know, why they're doing it is that they want to bring down Western society. They want to destroy capitalism. They want to bring down, I don't know. I don't know what the reason is, but I could tell you uh, my role as a scientist is to say, okay, this is what they're telling you. And this is what the facts say. Uh, and then the other thing, Ed, is they've arrested a num- quite a few people for intentionally setting fires. There have been dozens of fires, uh, arsonists running around setting fires uh, across Canada. You know, what are these? Are these the Canadian version of Greta Thunberg's? We want to, you know, let's 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 prove that there's a true climate crisis, and let's just have unusual amounts of fires. And and we know that they're. Uh, they, they've arrested quite a few people for intentionally setting these fires. It'll be interesting uh, to see what what shakes out and who these people really are. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that these are climate activists that just want to exacerbate the problem. Um, you know, we got to we got to we got to destroy the environment in order to save it. It's uh, it's beyond incredible. Um, and the other thing, the Canada's Department of Natural Resources on their website, if you go there. Uh, according to them, fires are hugely beneficial to forest growth and regrowth. They, on their website, they state that fire is just as important to Canadian forests as water and sunlight. That's right on their website. Wow. Who knew? And it's because fires needed in these coniferous forests 
uh, for the for the conifers to whenever they drop their their cones to open up and spread the uh, the seeds within the cones. Fires the heat from the fire does that. Uh, so it's it's one thing after another. Number one, fire is beneficial. And then we also look, it's not just in Canada that fires are declining, but it's globally. Uh, if we look at the satellite record, Copernicus satellite went up uh, in the mid-1980s, and they started, uh, it was really the early 1990s, they started mapping uh, global fire. And lo and behold, what did they find? Fires declining across the globe, and not by a little, but by a lot. Um, they, they said there's been a 25% decline in the area burned globally. That's that's significant. And the reason you're going, you, you might ask yourself, well, Greg, why is that happening? And I'll tell you why. You, you, I hope you're sitting down. It's <laughs> because of a combination of modest warming and more CO2. The, modest, the, the, the increase in temperature <laughs> means that, yeah, it's actually decreasing <laughs> fires because there's more evaporation of the oceans um warmer atmosphere holds more water vapor and that uh, those both things lead to more precipitation so of course more precipitation is good for for dampening fires there's more soil moisture and, and then there's more co2 so trees and plants don't need as much water to survive they they don't need their their uh, improve their drought uh, fighting capabilities and you don't need as much water leaving more soil moisture in the ground which again uh, goes again you know decreases the the fire potential and so it's crazy that actually warming and more co2 is de- decreasing fires not increasing uh, Gregory Wrightstone is our guest. He, of course, is the uh, executive director over at uh, the CO2 Coalition, CO2Coalition.org. He did. I, I, did you put this chart up? You sent me this chart. Is that up on the website somewhere? Um, because uh, you need to get that up there or get it on, it's on social media because it's great to point out what this, you know, the, the hysteria about. And I, I look, I think here's why, Gregory, it's, I'm glad I got you on the show today. I think the hysteria over the uh, in a normal. Well, let's stop. When I was chief of staff to the governor of Missouri, I remember asking a bunch of people who were smarter than me about how to be chief of staff. And they said this, this, this and this. And then one of them said to me, when the floods come, you will be blamed no matter what you do. But whatever you do, you better do it competently. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, you know, he meant that when you're a chief of staff or when you're a governor, you're going to get a flood or a hurricane or an earthquake. You can't guess. You can't predict that. So you're going to get blamed no matter what you're going to get. He said, you're going to get blamed. It's going to stick to you but you still got to handle it competently. It's the opposite. It's like the liberals opposite. When they see a crisis like this, I think people will blame the people in charge. They'll say, geez, Willie's, what's the policies? And then I think we'll see the whole apparatus. Uh, this is why it's important you're out here, Gregory. It, and we'll say, oh, oh, wait, we better blame climate change. Somebody get John Podesta out of the White House. He's got $370 billion to, to try to fight this. We need more. And that, so having people that can say, eh, wait a second, here's the actual facts, I think is important. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, that's what we're trying to do here. Ed, thanks for having me on. Uh, we have to get this information out there. Um, it's, uh, it, I mean, I just, I watched Fox News, uh, the five last night. And right, right. Harold Ford Jr. started off 
you know, well, this is just more evidence of, of why we need to fight climate change, that climate change is driving catastrophic fires and more hurricanes and more tornadoes and sea level. We're all going to be in it. Everything he said was just factually incorrect. I was about ready to jump through the screen and strangle. <laughs> but it just they, they get away with this stuff. And they don't, I don't think, you know, Harold Ford Jr., I, I'm a Give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he knows any different. He just he's bought into the whole thing. He's never heard anything different. Right. Um, and that, that's why we're you know, that's why we're here and why the CO2 coalition is important. All right, Gregory Wrightstone, thank you for taking the time to get on the phone with us, uh, get on the radio show with us right away and get reaching out to me. I appreciate having you as a resource. Uh, Gregory Wrightstone, again, go over to CO2coalition.org and uh, look on my social media feed and you'll see it. Thanks, Gregory. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The Tennessee state legislature sent shockwaves throughout the nation when they voted to remove two members of their own body. Representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson were expelled from the Tennessee House of Representatives for a serious breach of decorum when they led protesters who stormed the floor of the Tennessee State House to push for gun control. A third representative was spared from expulsion after she, unlike her two colleagues, apologized for her participation in the unlawful demonstration. The left has drawn considerable attention to this debacle, as they do any time Republican state legislatures show any backbone. Socialist star of the left, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, pined on social media that Republicans may think they won today in Tennessee, but their fascism is only further radicalizing and awakening an earthquake of young people, both in the South and across the nation. AOC's ugly insults may be par for the course with the radical left these days, but terms like fascism and socialism need to be explained to a generation whose education in history has been questionable at best. Fascist regimes like Hitler's Germany and Mussolini's Italy did not rise with the conservative action of state legislatures like what we saw in Tennessee. Historically, fascists rise to power by relying on rebellious young people to intimidate their opposition and disrupt proceedings that are harmful to their cause. Hitler's black shirts and Mussolini's brown shirts are both prime examples of this. While I'm hesitant to lump any contemporary American political faction in with Adolf Hitler, AOC's casual willingness to do just that shows a complete disregard for history. That same disregard for history is probably what makes AOC such a strong proponent of the failed system known as socialism. Socialism is not a path to economic equality. It's a path to allowing the government to pick who's worthy to have less and who is worthy to have more. Favor with the powers that be replaces individual merit as the metric for success. Young people who would fall for the false promises of socialism, they need a history lesson. And Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has proven that she's not the one who can give such a lesson. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The false promise of socialism is an illusion. It devalues hard work and creativity. It's the opposite of the American dream. As proven around the world, socialism breaks the human spirit. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're standing against the rise of socialism. For more, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the uh, Pro-America Report. Hey, finishing up, uh, just a few moments, uh, I want to say a word or two about Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson passed away at 93 years of age. Uh, Pat Robertson, of course, uh, is someone who his uh, long career uh, included incredible achievements, the 700 Club, Regent University, maybe maybe his greatest uh, achievement, Regent University, his family, he had he has wonderful kids, wonderful children, uh, some of whom are in uh, a public life. Uh, also, here's what I wanted to tell you. Uh, I, I, first of all, to his family and to his friends, uh, we put him we keep uh, them in our prayers. Uh, but what a life the guy um, had. I knew Helen Marie Taylor, the late Helen Marie Taylor had helped Pat Robertson when he was just starting. Uh, and, uh, he was amazing. She was amazing. And he, she talked about him with great affection. But what I saw and what I learned from her was that Pat Robertson was a visionary, which means he kept adjusting to what he saw around him in terms of succeeding for what he was called to, which in this case was to uh, to serve the gospel and to evangelize. And that's how he got uh, uh, TV stations, the 700 Club, Regent University. Um, he, he ran for president also. He was politically uh, active and uh, made a difference in, uh, obviously, in politics. Um, in in uh, 88 is when he ran. It didn't succeed very much at all. But he had be- the decade before that, he had been extraordinary at influencing what happened. So um, he was really somebody, a visionary and uh, amazing life. So study his life to see that certain type of person, 93 years old when he died, certain type of uh, uh, of American original that was so gifted at being a visionary and putting things into action. Um, what a life. So again, a uh, tribute to him. Uh, I've got some great um, Phyllis Schlafly moments, uh, interactions with him that we'll put up over on social media. And uh, have a great uh, day. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, talk to you tomorrow. On the answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.